So hi Mavericks, welcome to the Maverick Spotlights podcast and today we have got a really special treat for you. We've got um, a really great story with someone I saw at a conference in Brighton in November, a lady called Jo Berry, whose story just really touched me and her message is so needed in the world right now uh, that I couldn't wait to ask Jo to be part of this podcast. So hi Jo, how are you today? Hello, I'm fine. Thanks so much for inviting me today. You're so welcome. You're so welcome. So, Joe, if you can just, um, I think rather than me kind of telling about your story, it's better that you do. So can you just tell us a little bit, give us a little bit of context about who you are and what your, your story and your message are right now, please? Yes, well, I've, I founded a charity, Building Bridges for Peace, and it's um, a response to losing my father in a terrorist attack. My, my dad was a Conservative MP and he was attending the Conservative Party conference in Brighton in 1984. Mm. And that was the year that a bomb went off in the early hours on the 12th of October and my father and um, five others were killed. And I was just 27 and for me it wasn't just losing my father, which was huge, but it was also losing the part of me that felt I was a free spirit because now I was part of a violent conflict. The IRA said they were responsible and I felt that the conflict in Northern Ireland was now my conflict. So I cared about people there and I could feel the pain. And it was something that I think it was about two days later, I felt like I needed to bring something positive out of what had happened. Um, And so I made this decision I was going to find a way to contribute to peace wow. and even to understand those who'd killed my dad. That's incredible. How did you... That's a, that's a huge decision to come to, even just a couple of days after it happened. How, mm-hmm. how did you come to that? That's huge. Yes. You know, I look back and think, how? And I, it was probably because of the person I was before the bomb went off and I saw myself... Um, as a spiritual person, I'd been meditating in the Himalayas and I'd been studying Gandhi and nonviolence. And I, at that time, I would have said inner peace was the way. And after the bomb went off, I saw that inner peace was not enough. And in fact, straight away, it didn't seem relevant. I thought this is the real world, you know, where people kill, where people are killed. Mm. And inner peace isn't going to stop that. Meditating isn't going to stop that. So a journey started, but it was also a continuation of the journey before because I'd already committed my life to sort of spiritual purpose. But now it was sort of very practical, very emotional and dealing with some of the sort of darkest parts of our society and also the darkest parts of me. Mm. Mm. So tell uh, your your story kind of also develops very interestingly from there so can you kind of take us on from from that point and kind of tell us what happened from there well yes so the journey um had a direction but i had no idea um what to do but i trusted that life was going to bring me the experiences and the first one came quite quickly just a few months afterwards when i was going home um from a friend's house in london and for some reason, I left the tube early. So I'm standing in, in King's Cross, wondering how to get back to Notting Hill Gate. And there were no taxis. 
I saw someone else looking for a taxi. So I started talking to him and he was going near me. So he shared this taxi. Mm-hmm. And I could tell that he was from Northern Ireland. So I said, well, that's that's a coincidence because my dad's just been killed by the IRA and I'm now really caring about what's happening in Northern Ireland. And he said, no, that's not a coincidence. The coincidence is that my brother was in the IRA and my brother was killed by a British soldier a year ago. Oh, wow. I know. And so there we were. Right? We should have been enemies. Like We came from different sides. We'd mm. both been really hurt by the other. And yet we spoke in that taxi of a world where peace was possible, where nobody used violence to be heard or to to get their needs met, you know, where nobody was killed and where there were no sides, no other. And I remember leaving that taxi and thinking, this is one way I can contribute, I can build a bridge across the divide. And even though nobody knew about it, it felt like I'd, I'd done something. And it was the start of seeing the purpose of building bridges. Now, the, there were many bridges I built in 85 mm. and 86. I travelled over to Northern Ireland, but the biggest bridge uh, was with the one man who'd been held responsible for planting the bomb, Patrick McGee. And he was released in, in 99 as part of the Good Friday peace agreement. Right. All the political prisoners came out. Mm. And it also coincided with a time of me getting a lot of support for my emotional trauma, which I'd had none at the time. So it was a very transformational time. And in the beginning of 2000, I was in Ireland a lot, attending victim survivor weekends, meeting um, members of um, all the paramilitaries, meeting other people who were affected by the conflict. Because, wow. of course, in England, everyone lived so wide apart and there was nothing for us here. Sure, sure. And during... During that first few months, I kept on hearing about people who knew Patrick McGee. And I'd said right back in 86, um, after he'd been arrested and convicted, you know, one day, if it's right, I'd like to sit down and meet him to hear his story. Wow. What? And so, what? <laughs> what an incredible... Sorry, I, I, I'm just... I mean, I've heard your story a couple of times now, Joe, but it still never, never fails to amaze me and kind of blow me away. Just the just how different that is to a, to a mainstream response but how you know it feels so kind of courageous to me there's a lot of risk in that kind of decision and that kind of thing and um just just kind of t- tell us what happened next because i this this is quite miraculous from in, in my world so yeah okay thanks so Beginning of that year, 2000, I met people who said they knew him and they said they could arrange a meeting. And then I actually heard back three times that he didn't want to meet me. And I remember the disappointment, but then also, okay, you know, I'm just going to trust and there's other bridges I can build. And I carried on um, with meeting other people and learning more and healing myself. And then one day I shared a a poem I'd written and the poem was actually for Patrick McGee Hmm. and it was called Bridges Can Be Built and I shared it at a peace conference and someone there said I know Patrick McGee I can arrange the meeting how long do you need and I said give me 24 hours and I'll be there and what actually happened was it was on a Friday morning and I was about to leave my house to go to Dublin 
to be part of my my victim survivor weekend mm. and I remember I was actually living in North Wales so I just, just was off to get the ferry and the phone call came to say that my friend Anne Gallagher had arranged for Patrick McGee to be in her house that evening and so it was like 12 hours away and my first wow. thought was my first thought was not today you know I'm not in the mood I, I had little girls then and this was in 2000 and I was thinking about how they were going to cope without me at the weekend or, you know it's just a lot of mundane practical things I was not feeling inspired at all yeah <laughs> but then I thought well what would it feel like how would I feel ready with such a huge meeting and so I thought well, I'm just going to go so I said yes wow and I was terrified you know because it'd been a long journey of not wanting to blame him and not wanting to project anything onto him and like wanting to be able to listen but I I didn't know how I was going to feel when I met him face to face you know might all come out of the window mm. you know? and then there was would I what would it be like afterwards you know lots of thoughts and feelings but I carried on and got there into my friend's house and it was a house where there was lots of hustle and bustle people coming and going and phones going doorbells going people i didn't know walking in and out not exactly the best preparation for a meeting like this sure sure <laughs> i mean there was no one there really to facilitate it i mean Anne would have but she you know it's not wasn't her area she was there as a friend but then in, in i remember the, the moment the doorbell went and in walked patrick and i got up from where i was sitting at the at the dining room table and and thanked him for coming and he went no no thank you for inviting me and we were very polite and wow and I said I really appreciate it because I heard that you didn't want to meet me and I really appreciate that you changed your mind and he said oh well I've heard a few times that the daughter one of my victims wanted to meet me and I've always said yes so that was a moment when it sort of broke the ice really because you were wondering <laughs> how his yes it's got translated into no's and we're actually still finding out now which is quite interesting and it was about wow. protection protection i think for both of us and it was so early on in the peace process you know looking back yeah that i think most people thought it was just a step too far anyway there we were we were meeting so we we went into our own room and it was obvious we wanted to be together and we wanted to be away from all the other people and that first meeting was three hours wow okay. and i remember the first bit looking at him and thinking sitting with you and you you killed my dad but you you just look so normal you know i i can't i can't get my head around that you've you've done it and then other thoughts of what am i doing here with you you know you killed my dad i shouldn't be here and lots of thoughts oh uh, yeah sure and emotion you know but i at that time i was already quite skilled in in listening to myself and acknowledging what what I was going through I'd been involved in teaching parents how to listen to the children their kids and you know I'd done yeah. a lot of work in this area so I knew I knew how to stay focused and I wanted to be present to him I wanted to be able to listen and almost like make it safe for him to open up mm. though that wasn't a conscious thing at that time so I listened and he started off by sort of giving me some of the justification of why he joined the IRA and why it was a good strategy, the Brighton bot. And I was 
quite familiar with this. This is what I was prepared for. This is what other men who've been in the IRA told me he would do because that's it's almost like they feel like they got righteousness on their side because it was just cause they were oppressed. Sure. And so, sure. I, so I was very familiar with all of that. But I was interested and curious as to what was beneath that. You know, that wasn't enough for me. So I was asking questions and listening and shared about my dad and how close we'd been and some of my experiences in Belfast in 85 and 86 and more recently people I'd met who knew him and then I was thinking I've really got what I want like I can see he has depth he has sensitivity and you know I've got what I need from here I've put a human face to the enemy you know he's no longer my my other I didn't want an other because I thought that was actually going to affect my humanity so now I have a human face yes but he's justifying killing my father which isn't very easy to hear so you know can be can never be a strategy for me (laughs) so i thought i'm gonna go now i'm gonna thank him and go yep okay and just when i thought that he stopped talking took off his glasses and rubbed his eye and said well i i don't know who i am anymore and i hear your your anger and your pain and what can i do to help you you know, I've never met anybody so open and with so much dignity as you. And that was a moment where I knew that something else had changed. A new journey wow. had started. And he would later say that it was like going from his head to his heart. And it started like a spiritual journey for him. And I remember thinking, this is more than I'd bargained for. I better just leave straight away and run away. <laughs> <laughs> it's too scary. Yeah, really. Yeah, and another part of me embraced this and thought, you know, this is really important. And so I obviously stayed, and, and it was a very different conversation after that. And what what you taken what off his political hat. Right, okay. So he, it was now more about him and his vulnerability rather than, you know, a prepared political ideology done with some sensitivity, but still that. This was much more coming from him and... It was the beginning of him having awareness that when he planted that bomb, he didn't see any human beings, and actually there were human beings there, and he'd lost some of his humanity by using violence, and that was sort of his first recognition of that. So it was a profound change for him. It sounds it. It sounds like it was a profound change for for both of you and it sounds like the positions were dropped yeah. at that point and it was about just two humans yeah. connecting exactly yeah so it was a huge change for me too yeah yeah and you know i never met him to change him i met him to change and heal myself sure sure and that's what this has been about so he is still changing i might at times get frustrated um I'm very human and <laughs> still get rid of um, But my basic truth is that you know he changes the way he needs to change. Sure. And I, and, well, I'm jumping forward about this, but like we still meet, and but each time you know we can't assume the other one will be there. Uh, in fact, he's taken a step back this year. He's doing a lot less talks with me, which is absolutely fine. So so since then we've spoken together and shared platforms, you know, over. 150 times and travel to different parts of the world and you know and we do each time we speak we do talk about that first meeting because sure. it had a such a huge effect on on both of us and 
it's when we share it it's not like we're just sharing it word for word the same we can both still feel it together it's always powerful so it was like something in that moment was created that whenever the two of you kind of come together it's there's almost a well there's literally a, a, like a, a a bridge that has been built that is always there to to coin the phrase yeah that's right yes well put so I mean, I've kind of got tingles at the moment. I always do when I hear, hear this story, Joe. But so, so just kind of, if you can kind of fast forward us from, you know, or give us a high level thing of kind of what happened from, from there. You've, you've spoken a number of times, you've gone out and started to do work or have done a lot of work together. So, yeah. so where, where have things kind of gone since, since that first meeting? Uh, well, the first time we were asked to speak, we were only given like two or three minutes each. Um, and then we went public, which was really huge because I ne- this to me, this was personal. I never wanted to go public with it. Yep. It took me ages before I told anyone I'd met him. And then because of the documentary, we had sort of had to tell people to prepare them. And and so I've sort of been growing as the story grows. And at that time, my self-esteem was very fragile. Well, now... You know, on a good day, it's good. <laughs> Still have <laughs> moments like everyone does. Yeah, sure, um, of course. And so I've been learning a lot about myself and trusting myself and and learning um, learning that the power of the story um, is what happens when we stopped speaking. It's where it leads people to, and that's not us telling anybody where to go with it. But for example, I remember. We went to Palestine and Israel a few years ago, and we were invited by groups that I had connections with. Mm. Um, on the first, the first talk we did was in uh, Jerusalem, and there were a group there called Combatants for Peace. And the Palestinians arriving there had a really difficult time, and they had, they clearly had, had a lot of them had had some difficult experience even just in the last week. And for the Israelis and Palestinians to meet to work together even finding a place is difficult. So the level of challenge was obviously like massive. And, you know, I, I live in peacetime. I do live in peacetime. And obviously they don't. You know. and it's very hard for the Israelis as well because they, a lot of them um, have said no to doing, to going into the military and have uh, yep. been seen as betraying their communities. Uh, not all of them, but some of them. Um, so I was thinking, what are we doing here? You know, like, <laughs> why are we speaking? And uh, where did I get this idea from? You know, because we can't contribute to what they're doing. Sure. So I had a real sort of self-doubt about my purpose there. And then we stopped talking and had a few questions, and then they started a conversation amongst themselves. And then one of them said that, I think it was three points he made. He said, when we asked you for solutions to our conflict, you said you had none, which was brilliant answer because if you had we would have jumped on you with that <laughs> to the fact that you're here is because you care and that that gives us so much and thirdly we're seeing our our conflict mirrored back in a different way and that allows us to have a new conversation and that's what i i thought okay that's it no it's it's how they then uh, can see themselves and what's going on and have a new new way of communicating and I think that's sort of what happens everywhere is people take what they want to take. So it may be that someone uh, just decides to write to a relative they haven't spoken to. Mm. 
you know, it may be that someone sitting there with a lot of pain from a trauma and decided to go on a journey. You know, maybe someone's empowered to, you know, work in conflict transformation. It doesn't, for me, that's not important. It's the fact that people go away feeling empowered, have more hope, or do something differently. And I think back to the 27 me, 27 year old me who wanted to bring something positive out of it. Now, that's never going to end. You know? No, and of course. At the beginning, my heart was holding the Northern Irish conflict. Well, now it holds the world. So I truly believe that whilst anyone in the world is, is suffering and, and not having their basic needs met, you know, then that's, that's something that I need to work with and that we're a human global family. Yes. Ew, and we need to care for absolutely ev- everyone. And for me, that's about empathy rather than forgiveness. Because I believe if we empathise with the our other, like I've empathised well, with many people, but with Pat, mm. then then the there's a knowing that if I'd lived his life, you know, I may have made the same choices. And then in that moment, it's not about forgiveness, it's about empathy. Right. And then I'm going to want for them all that I want for my loved ones because they're no longer my other. And so to me, empathy brings action. What, what an extraordinary message. I mean, as you say, I mean, it, you know, forgiveness is the word that's often banded around this kind of area. And I think it's a very troublesome word, isn't it? Because it's almost that kind of thing of, you know, if I forgive you, I condone what you've done. Or what, but it's still very much based in me versus you as yes. opposed to we, as it were. Yes. And that's what I hear from your from your message of empathy, Joe. It's that thing of how do we shift that, you know, me versus you to, to we, as it were, um, in very practical terms. Yes, that's so, it. So that being the case, I mean, can you just tell us, I mean, obviously you, you formed the charity, your, this, this is your life's work and your purpose. So what kind of form does your, your work take right now? Kind of what, 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 what do you do in like the, the, in 2017 and kind of recent years that is kind of taking this work out there? So the focus um, this year is I'm doing a lot on, on my own um, without Pat and I'm really, I'm almost seeing it as like kind of an amplification of empathy. I want to um, just amplify empathy so that it becomes a way of being, which um, we all have access to. Mm. Um, and the way I'm going to do that is uh, I've got a lot of connections in different Muslim communities, and I see the correlations between what happened when the Irish are being demonised to Muslims being demonised. Sure. And because of some work that I've done, um, I've been invited to speak in many communities. So I, my plan is to bring my talk and then also a workshop and maybe even have several workshops. At the moment, I'm waiting for funding for that. And I'm hoping that's going to happen this year. And um, me and Pat have been invited to Colombia, but again, I need to wait for funding because Colombia's at a very interesting part in the peace process there. Mm. Northern Ireland's um, just the last few days got even more challenges. So you know, at the moment, I'm I have a big a big vision. I have lots of ideas, and actually, um, what is going to happen? You know, to be honest, I I really don't know how it's going to unfold. You know, I am waiting to get some funding, and then I'm just going to 
go full speed <laughs> to where I want to go and, and to be able to respond. Now, there are some talks I'm going to give that I've already um, got in the diary, which is very exciting. A, a lot of what I do is is I'm responding to people asking me, but then I'm also interested in building projects. And I've, I've worked with young people last year. We had an incredible event in Romania where we brought young people from around the world for a 10-day like peace-building workshop, which was extraordinary. Um, um, and I work in a school in Tower Hamlets. You know, I'm I'm active in many different places. Sure, sure. And I, I, what I love about that is, you know, kind of start when you start start with young people. Obviously, I mean, you were quite young when this process started yourself. Um, but it, it it kind of it becomes kind of part of the ethos, doesn't it? it? Becomes part of the person when you start quite young, as it were. Well, yes, and I I do find young people very open and amazing. Uh, already, I mean, they are just way ahead of, of when I was that age, you know, and they have all the the ways of supporting each other, which um, you know we didn't have. And it's, I think it's a very exciting time to be young, and also I'm aware of the challenges that they face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we certainly exist in what appears to be a very challenging world at the moment, don't we? And what what I think is interesting about yeah. that is some of the responses that that are coming out from young people right now. I mean, I heard of a a, a a small startup up in Edinburgh of all places, a young guy called Mo, who's a Palestinian, I believe, who started mm -hmm. this this idea of um, kind of an almost like an Airbnb, but for for eating, as it were. But the idea being that people can host uh, through through his website and his startup can host a, a dinner at their house which people can come to and pay for um, but the idea is that they come and eat with a bunch of strangers and the whole point is they, they kind of sit and they talk and they discover each other's points of view and all that and that came out of the fact that he always said as a, as a Palestinian he was raised to kind of hate Israelis but mm. at 19 he wondered what it would be like to sit down and, and break bread with an Israeli of his age and just talk about where they're at Mm. And, and you know to to discover and uh, to use your your analogy build the bridge uh, and I just I thought that was quite amazing when I heard about that and that's from a 19 year old wow no, that that is amazing and that I think is what you know every community needs to do is to create safe spaces for people to come together with different views and listen to each other because I believe and I've seen it happen time after time you know you can bring people together who are each other's other and then you create a safe place for them to listen to each other, to hear their story, not argue, but just listen. Um, and then those ideas of arguing, I'm right, you're wrong, just fall away. Because when we hear someone's story, then we go, oh, okay, wow, you're, you're doing really well, you know, considering your story. And, you know, I think that that's completely different from how our politics are, which is all very kind of, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm going to tell you why, mm. you know, to actually well, we're all right, you know, we've all got a valid perspective, we've all, we're all doing what we can, with what we've been given, you know, and together, when we hear each other, then I think we can empower each other to do more, and your example, this 19-year-old is, you know, just extraordinary, and that's, that to me is the hope, is there stories like that all over mm. the world, and happening right now in the UK, communities coming together and saying, you know, we're not going to wait for the government to tell us how to do this or the money we're just going to get on and do it and and these meetings are happening of people listening to each other i know so many stories of this 
it, it, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Absolutely extraordinary. So I, I guess I, I kind of want to kind of come back to you as it works. There's, there's lots of stuff out there, but obviously, I mean, this this work and kind of what it draws out of you requires a lot of kind of personal resource, that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm just trying. Well, I mean, first of all, you know, who are some of the heroes that you've looked to? I mean, you mentioned Gandhi earlier, but who 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 are the heroes that you've looked to on your journey and kind of keep you keep you on the on the path as it were well there, there's the heroes like gandhi and nelson mandela martin luther king but i also have heroes of people like matt who are right now changing the cycle of violence and revenge who are working um, in difficult communities like my friends from palestine and israel you know from rwanda um people i know in the north of ireland uh, extraordinary people who um, some people I know who've actually been involved in violent groups who have left these groups and are now working for peace you know who've gone through a complete mm. transformation and there's so many people I, I know who are doing incredible work so I'm part of this network I don't feel on my own and if I have a moment of you know, wanting to give up this is too hard then I can connect with them. I can see what they're doing every day through Facebook, through writing them an email, and that gives me so much strength. You know, I I actually feel my way path has been easier than many many others. You know, and I think if, if they've got that kind of courage, you know, then that inspires me to empowers me to be bolder, and that yeah that helps. You know, as mm. as well as. Uh, I get inspired by people, you know, my, my friends. I, I have a fantastic supportive network. And we don't need to be well known, I think, to be inspirational. That, you know, there are people who just just near me who are extraordinary. I mean, also, I've just got involved as a restorative justice facilitator. Mm. And just the last person I met who, you know, who's she's got a massive story. She's just someone who... Um, had the unfortunate to have a member of family murdered and what she's been through, you know, she's a survivor. So I think I'm I'm blessed to know people who haven't let their pain and trauma turn them into, you know, bitterness or to themselves end up being a harmer, people who are transforming that cycle. Mm. And you know, each and every one of them I meet, they inspire me. What I almost hear out of this, Joe, is, I mean, obviously there are lots of words and descriptions you can place around this. We've, you know, you've used the word empathy. We've talked, I mentioned the word courage, that kind of thing. But actually what all of this brings up, and I think is so important in this world right now, is I hear the word resilience as well. Mm-hmm. And just this, this ability through the transformation to just, not even just pick yourself up and keep going, which I think is what a lot of people think resilience is, but actually to, to really grow and embrace that, that, that journey, as it were, um, which I think is, is really quite huge. So just, just on that, as it were, I mean, what I mean, one thing I'd be interested in is in terms of, you know, on a day-to-day basis, you know, what, what kind of routines or practices do you have that kind of keep you focused, kind of pull you up when you've mentioned, obviously, reaching out to friends, but what kind of daily routines and practices mm. do you have that kind of help you stay motivated? 
Yes. Well, I'm always full of good intentions with a daily practice. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say that I don't do anything daily. You know, like I still think one, one day I'm going to get, uh, you know, but the, the truth is I'm so very erratic uh, with everything. <laughs> but, but, then, but there's one constant thing. And that is every moment watching myself, my, my thoughts, my emotions and working with how I'm feeling. So I'm always very in touch with how I'm feeling mm. and also aware of the story I'm, I'm giving myself. So if I have a pain, then I can actually change the story I might give to the pain. So the, if the pain is um, uh, some disappointment because something hasn't happened, mm. well, then I could tell myself, well, you know, who do you, who do you think you are that... Um, you deserve that to happen or is this just because you're no good and I could go into quite a negative story or I could have a story of yeah this is disappointing let's feel the emotion you know and then we can let it go and there are other opportunities and you know what else do you need I speak to myself what else do I need you know what else can I do what else who can I reach out to so mm. I turn it into what do I need rather than poor me you know this is an excuse to beat myself up because I would say that's my biggest obstacle has been hard on myself right. and it's years of doing that you know and it's not at all helpful <laughs> <laughs> you know it really isn't you know and like it's almost like the, the bolder I am the more I'm in the world then you know that voice will have more chance of coming back yes so recently I spoke at the house of commons and it was a, a post-brexit sort of respectful dialogue panel and I was, I was the only one there who wasn't a politician or wasn't a you know, professional professor, whatever. Mm -hmm. So it did bring up this, this voice in me sort of um, berating myself for what I had said. So, you know, I recognised that and I just sort of worked, worked with it very, very much. So it's about changing the sort of self-destructive um, messages I might give myself and then bringing them positive messages. And I've discovered that feelings can be transformed. So even if the, there's a massive feeling happening inside me, which is, I'm calling it negative, you know, I know it's not going to last. Yeah. Because yeah. like, there's a tendency to go, oh, that's it. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is the end. Yeah. But actually, if I'm acknowledging it, so feeling it, then I can let it go. And I have a, many ways of letting go. So I would say that's always, that's always sort of, I'm changing it and, uh, improving it but I have a very strong sort of inner inner world and sometimes that does involve meditation sometimes it involves yoga sometimes it involves walking in nature mm. um, I, I used to play the piano but I haven't got a piano anymore which is a bit sad but one day it'll come back <laughs> one day. You know, so I have a, many ways of connecting connecting again and you know, one of the things I wish I'd been asked uh, the day my father was killed and every day after that until I could ask it myself is whatever you're feeling is completely understandable. What do you need right now? Wow, what a question. And that, that would have saved me some <laughs> difficult times in my life. You know, and that, I think, once we know what we need, then we're on a journey. Because it's going to, once that need is met. So, the, you know, the need at the beginning could be, well, actually, I just, you know, I need someone to give me some food. Yeah. You know, and, then, and then that could change to, well, I need this. You know, and once we trust that voice in us, then I think we can move from victim to survivor to, I'm not even sure what the word is, but, you know, to creator. Yep. 
Well, suddenly it places the power sort of back in your hands, doesn't it? Or the choice, not the power, but yes. the choice back in your hands. Yes, Which that's right. Remarkable. And at that point, we stop being a victim. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So based on that, then, Joe, um, I'm loving kind of so much wisdom here. So with that, that in mind, here's a hypothetical for you. If you could travel back in time, kind of knowing what you know now, Mm. back to when you were 17 as it were what's the first mm. piece of advice you would give your 17 year old self mm. don't give your power away keep it <laughs> believe in yourself yeah i mean it's really been a, a pattern throughout my life of giving my power away and having someone else in authority over me and it's it's not been at all helpful you know whether saying those words would have been enough at 17 i might not have even understood it but certainly uh if i'd understood that yeah it would have been very helpful mm, mm. and you know that i think if i'd really loved myself and appreciated and knew how to take care of myself then i wouldn't have given the power away i gave the power away because there was a lack of self-esteem and there was a lack of self-esteem because of certain experiences i had as a child and at school and so that left me sort of vulnerable to giving my power away mm. you know i look at my daughters who are now adults who have fantastic self-esteem and like you know they're very skilled in emotional intelligence and they you know, we talk a lot about it you know but they i don't see them giving their power away to anyone because they are so sure of who they are mm. and that's what you know i didn't have as a teenager and i think these days young people uh they are different. There's a lot more emotional intelligence around. Having said that, I also know there's more self-harming and you know more suicide. So mm. it's not always there. But right, right, right. Yeah. So, so that being the case, thinking turning away from your seventeen-year-old self to say a young, a young maverick who might be out there like a mo or someone like that who's kind of just starting out, as it were. What what piece of advice would you mm. give to them? What wisdom would you give them as they're just starting out? Uh, that that they can do it. You know, it's possible. It's 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 to have um, a vision, to have a dream, is really important. And then we can make it happen. And it starts by just saying, "This is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to achieve." Just starting it, saying an intention, a focus, and then I do believe that they'll start meeting the right people, they'll spot the books, they'll go to the right websites, random things will happen, um, and they will then get their next step, and then their next step, and it can grow and grow and grow. You know, and sometimes there'll be times when it feels like they don't know where they're, where they're going, but it will come back. Mm. Uh, and step, it's step by step. It's I don't believe it's about one big step and we're there. You know, it's little little steps. Sure. And sure. and the, you know we can we can all do it. I really believe we all have something to contribute, some vision we can happen, and we can all be change makers. You know, and it doesn't have to be big in the world. No. You know, it can be. <laughs> just you know meeting someone in the next road or you know, it can be a, it can be anything and they're all they're all valid so please tell yourselves you know that 
you're doing well. It's so important to give ourselves that support and to, to know that we're all valued and all important. Mm, mm. And I think, I think that's a really important message, isn't it? That thing that we can all do something. I think it's, I was listening to a, to a, I think it was a podcast yesterday, Marie Folio, and uh, she said, you know, so many people often feel powerless in this world, but it's not necessarily even about what you can do, it's often about how you do it. And I think, mm. you know, that's what, something I've heard all the way through, through what you've had to say. Even if it's just that, as you say, meeting someone in the next road or just being, you know, just, just being human with someone in, in a daily interaction. Yes, yes, exactly. It's yes, and you, you don't know how you're going to touch that person by, by just looking at someone and going, you know, hello, I care. Yeah. In however way you want to say it. It doesn't have to be the words, but just to show someone that you care is really important. I know, I see you, I see you in your full humanity, I care. Mm. You know, and it's just the most wonderful gift we can give each other. And then the next one is, I'm here to listen to your story, you know, because I care. And for people to be able to share their story who've never been able to share it is such a gift. Yeah. And everybody has a story. You know, I go into these schools and they go, the teachers always say, well, you know, they're all young and it's almost like they might not understand what you're saying. I find the opposite. And I always say to the young people, you know, you've all got a story. You know, you haven't got to the ages you've got to. We can be talking about 13, 14 without experiencing pain and conflict and difficult things and trauma like we all do have story mm. and and i to acknowledge that it's really hard being a human there's no doubt it's really hard <laughs> so to be able to reach out to people and just go i care you know can just change their day absolutely absolutely i just want just a couple more questions joe and i just want to change um gear slightly and come back to kind of inspiration as it were um i know very often you know it, sometimes when we can't kind of reach people or whatever sometimes I, I i reach out to you know art or films or books or music you know just something to keep me going as, as it were so i'm just wondering kind of what um you know what books or film or music have had a big influence on you and, um, and kind of bring you back to who you are? Well, music always has an effect on me and I love all types of music and I find it as a way of releasing emotions as well as being inspired. And the, I don't know, as you're talking, I'm actually thinking of a film I saw in 1980 and, and it was the, the Gandhi film, mm. which was incredibly powerful and I remember coming out of that and actually having a conversation with my mum who hadn't appreciated the film and I remember coming out and just completely f filled with his ideas and I'm, I could hardly speak I was so emotional after it and at that time um, Time Out had a competition an essay writing competition and the question was what relevance does Gandhi's ideas of non-violence have in London today? And this was 1980. Mm. And now I'm not an essay writing, I'm not at all academic. But I wrote an essay and I still got it. It's really rather embarrassing, but I have still got it. And, <laughs> and I didn't win, obviously. But it was very much um, thinking about 
the violence and non-violence. And then, of course, you know, four years later, my dad was killed whilst bringing non-violence oh, wow. to the bomb. So I see it as a really important uh, route or, or means. And then I, tr- I travelled to India. I spent three years in India between 1980 and 1984 and was living in the, in the Himalayas. And I was actually with the Tibetan people. Wow. Um, and that had a huge in- influence on, on me. So there's been a lot of nourishment there, I think, in, in the past. And now the kind of films I like, and I, I love anything that's about transformation, that's about change. Mm. Like, um, and I'm... You know, I'm not so good with films that have got that are about the other and and violence. I'm much more interested in in, in transformation, films that leave us feeling inspired and and empowered. And mm. mm. um, I can't think of anything right now, but I know that <laughs> that's good. Don't worry, it's fine. It's fine. I guess the, the the final question I want to ask you, Joe, and this is maybe just the thing that kind of encapsulates everything that yeah. you've said, or the, the summing up, as it were. And so that that question is: if there wasn't, if there were no limitations, what is the one thing you would change about the world? And I kind of the other part of that question is: what would be your very first step towards it? But I kind of feel like you're doing that already, as it were. So, what's your vision of of, of the world you you would create if you could? Well, okay, it's like a wave of magic wand and anything is possible. Yes. I, I've been very, I don't know, I've been thinking about the people who make decisions that affect us. And I would think I'd like to change that. I would like to um, change the House of Commons so it's a circular building with mm. beautiful light and uh, a lot of space for small circles and, and dialogue. Um, I think the building is inherently part of the problem that we have. Um, but I'd like, I'd like it so the people who are the politicians who who are like the new president who have positions of power are people who are emotionally intelligent and who are already working as change makers. Um, are people who care? Who I suppose people who are very spiritual but also very skilled. You know, I'd like to see some people that I know, I'm sure you know, and some of your listeners who actually could could be in those places, perhaps as a group rather. I think it's too much for an individual. Mm. So we need to change the whole way that we make decisions on a political level, on a national level, on an international level. You know, and to have a, a global group of people who are guiding the planet, you know, one who's um, focusing on climate change. You know, and, and so they're actually making decisions that people are going to carry out. You know? mm. Someone else is looking at conflict and how it can be resolved peacefully, um, and how the needs can be met of each party without using violence. And look at resources, and you know, look at um, environmental, look at poverty and hunger. And so we we just have the people in power who really care about everyone. And it's not about my own personal wealth, or you know, am I going to be voting again in four years? But it's actually putting the planet first mm. and every single person. I mean, that is a big vision, and I know that you know it's not <laughs> it's not going to happen tomorrow. But that that I if we because I do believe we create the leaders we deserve somehow. I don't quite know how it works, but it would be amazing if we changed it so we had those kind of leaders. Mm. And you know there are glimpses of it. You know there are 
there are people around who are like that but it's i think the structure also needs to change sure absolutely because it's corrupt because because we make money out of arms you know there's lots of reasons why war carries on yeah why we have poverty why people aren't interested in climate change <laughs> because of wealth and, and greed uh, wow. yeah there's a lot to change <laughs> yeah. but as you say if you if you don't have the vision then you know what was what is that old saying if you shoot for the stars and reach the moon you've still got a good outcome yeah exactly no i shall carry on working that so you know when i was in the house of Commons, i did say a little bit about this about the structure there and, and um about yeah so wherever i i go i am looking at the bits we can change good. and how we how we can do it and you know in time this will happen yes Absolutely, absolutely. So, Joe, I'm going I'm to bring it to a wrap now and just say thank you so much for for talking with me today, for sharing your wisdom. I mean, there's there's so much wisdom in everything that you've said, and um, I suspect that that we'll we'll probably kind of talk again in in the future and find out where your journey is taking you. But thank you so much for today, and I know this is going to be a great podcast to listen to for our listeners. Oh, well, thank you so much. I've really appreciated your questions and the depth, and it's been very inspiring to speak with you. Cool. Thank you. Okay, thanks for listening, Mavericks, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye for now.